Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with a master gunsmith and stockmaker and get tips on how to up your personal home gunsmithing game. I also want to remind everyone that we will now be dropping new episodes every Tuesday morning. The Gun Experiment will air on the second and fourth Tuesdays, and our new show, Chopping It Up, airs on the first and third Tuesdays. So be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the notorious Big Keith sitting across the table. How are we doing, Keith? Doing awesome, as always. Happy to be here with you, buddy. Yeah, I dropped the notorious on you. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like I'm getting notorious. Yeah, man. People are knowing your name. You go out places, girls are screaming, Big Keith. That's it. You got like it. it. <laughs> My wife is throwing stuff at him. <laughs> Before we get going into our little uh, chat here, I just want to remind everyone that this episode is brought to them by Target Sports USA. That's the official ammo sponsor of the gun experiment. And I want to make sure everyone is aware that they can get their own Prime membership, which gets them 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If they would like to sign up for that or purchase ammo, please go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment doesn't cost you guys a dime to purchase, but it does help us out. So if you could use our link when you buy or when you're just looking to buy stuff. or They'll join know you, we sent you. That's right. It'll help us out. We appreciate <laughs> it. So Keith, I know you had some stuff you want to talk about with this. Yeah, they uh, Target Sports has Prime Day coming out, 919, so very close. Uh, and uh, again, like Mike said, go to, uh, go to TargetSportsUSA.com forward slash the gun experiment, and you can see... All the Prime Day deals that are going on right now. There are, are uh, a bunch of sales that are happening. Um, Mike and I, we, you're, we're going to be on site for this uh, for their Prime Day event, which is when is that, Mike? It's the event is October 22nd. Well, there's a couple things here. So if they sign up for Prime, they get a, a free gift valued at a hundred dollars, right? So right now they're giving, I think, a Bluetooth speaker worth a hundred bucks. So it's ninety five dollars for all the discounts. Yeah, you basically you get the first year for free, right? Yep, exactly. Well, I really liked that truck. I know you really like that truck. And yeah. they're giving away a truck for Prime Day, and on at the event is when they're giving away this truck. Right, and only Prime members can be eligible to win that truck. Right, so not everybody gets an invite, but if you're a Prime member, you have a shot at getting an invite. You you cannot get invited if you're not a Prime member. They so. almost didn't have a truck to give away. I thought you were going to steal it once they unlocked hmm, it. It was but. pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to see the truck, guys, there is a post on Instagram, a little video I did uh, of the truck. It is sweet. It's wrapped. It's got some serious rims and tires on There's it. There's a big key sighting inside the Instagram post. There is. That's right. I also want to just talk a little bit about uh, Chopping It Up. So this is our new show, and we just released our first episode of it. A little different format. Um, we're going to have uh, old friends show up from time to time. Um, yep. and More and of you and I. Yeah, a little more of us. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk more current events. It's, it's going to be a little bit more uh, more like of a, like a recent relevant show. So I thought you were going to say a variety show. It's a little bit of that too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, mix, we'll mix that up a bit. Uh, and then one other thing I want to get out there is uh, one of our listeners, Steve G., I want to thank him on the air personally. He went on our website and he hit the donation button and he left us a very generous donation to help sort of keep the lights on and get us some new gear. Uh, we didn't ask, I was shocked by it to be quite honest. It was very kind of him. Uh, I don't really throw that out there much, but if anybody wants to help out and be generous. Yeah, I mean, it, he kind of found it on his own because we really don't talk about it very much. And, no, yeah. uh, just it was a nice, nice gesture. So. Yeah, so thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate that. 
So what else, Keith? Anything? You got anything going on? Um, I'm still waiting on the hawk. Okay. Uh, it's not coming. It's yet. killing you. It's killing me because yeah. I'm like, it. The permit it got added to my permit so fast, but it's just taken forever yeah. to get back. I understand, you know, like I yeah. want it to be done right. So got it. I'm trying gotta do to be right. patient. I got my P320. I know. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, though. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty standard, you know. But it's. I have to say, I like. I didn't think I was going to, but I kind of like having a, a bigger grip. Oh man, Ben is going to love to hear you say I that. I know. God damn it. <laughs> I have to say though, you've been shooting your Sig pretty well. Yeah, we'll talk about that class maybe on another episode. Yeah. We we just did a class together. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, no, it, it's definitely coming together for me. You know. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I felt I felt really really good. Um, when we were uh, hitting those 25-yard shots, and then, you know, it, it felt really good to be... Couldn't have done that. Couldn't have done that. A year yeah, ago, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, so. I, I thought I could have done it a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think they can do a lot that they can't. But it, it, it kind of makes uh, makes the impression on how important it is to train farther, you know? Yes. I think a year ago, we were always talking, you know, about training at a distance that you thought you'd be engaged in. But right. the reality is you probably should be training for far. And then everything else is easier. And everything else is easier. Yeah. So listen, I want to get into the interview, but before okay. we do, this is one more announcement. Uh, we have a, a new sponsor. Um, and I'm very, very happy about this. So uh, our interview sponsor is Flatline Fiber Co. So for those of you that don't know, we had them on, I mean, many, many moons ago, right? We had chat on. Yep. And they basically create quality sewn goods for our community, uh, whether it's uh, slings or ear pro wraps or um, brace wraps. I mean, they have a, a ton of different stuff. You know, it, they're a really good, solid company. So all their products are made in the USA by hand, uh, includes free shipping on everything and has a lifetime warranty. So I, I just I've always admired that about Chad's company and uh, very, very happy that we can have them on board with us. And. He has offered our listeners a discount code, so uh, go and buy what you want to buy, and then use Gun Experiment 10 at checkout to get 10% off, and uh, if you do, we appreciate it, and thank you for supporting the companies that support us in the show. Yeah, he's uh, Chad and Flatline have always been really supportive of the show, and you know they've really helped us grow with our gear and helped us grow with uh, being able to provide excellent content for the listeners, so you know if you guys are in the market for any of that stuff... That's the place to go. Go get it. And now it's official. We're working with them, and I'm, I'm happy that that's the case. Me too. So. Me too. Good All right. News. Let's get into this thing. All right. So our guest tonight is a stockmaker, gunsmith, reloader, hunter, and avid outdoorsman. He became obsessed with the firearms, with firearms growing up in Pennsylvania, and after leaving the Air Force, decided to make firearms a full-time profession. Please welcome Kurt Martonic to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Hey. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So before we really get into this, um, thank you for hanging on for all that. We had a, we have a lot of a lot of news to get to our listeners, but uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that Kurt uh, often goes by the name Kurt the Gunsmith. So uh, that that's your Instagram handle, and uh, I've I've seen that thrown out there a lot. Thank so. God, because that last name, if you didn't pronounce it, Mike, I would have been lost. <laughs> I get that a lot. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not quite as bad as my uh, my Kurt, gu my guinea name, but uh, Kurt the gunsmith just rolls off the tongue. Oh, it really a lot does, <laughs> definitely. So anyway, um, so well, you know, we're talking about gunsmithing, and Keith and I talk about kind of like home gunsmith hobby stuff quite a bit. We're tinkers, yeah, and I think a lot of guys are right. I hope so. Yeah, so a lot of gun owners probably look at you and think that working with guns all day must be a total dream job, but I'm sure that it has its ups and downs, just like any job. So. Tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly of turning your hobby into your profession. 
Man, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's just like everything else. Uh, you have your pros, you have your cons. Um, I, I like to go with the whole 90-10 rule, you know. It's 90% of the time, it's just okay. And then you have that 10% of the time that makes it all worth it. Oh. Um, so it's, yeah, the good, you're working with guns all day. Some <laughs> of it's repetitive, so that can be bad. Uh, depending on where you end up in the field, it's it's very limited to... Uh, job availability is kind of limited there is a massive need for gunsmiths but you kind of have to start your own business so there's that risk involved there is it kind of a thankless job like you know you need gunsmith but nobody really wants to pay for one um i haven't seen that yet i definitely know that is a thing in other areas uh where i'm working now at c sharps our customers are very like they they know what they're getting they know the level of professionalism they're getting all that uh, we don't really get too much of that. So y- you make stocks for them, correct? Yes. So do you do all your work at home or like do you go into the quote unquote into the office? <laughs> I work I work at the uh, at the shop there. So okay. they have their own factory here in Big Timber, Montana. And um, I go in there 40 hours a week. And yeah, it's not a bad gig. You know, what I find funny about gunsmithing is... <sighs> And I'm sure depending on where you live geographically, this may be different. But like we're in New York, it's the gun culture is not as strong as other places. But I, I feel like it's one of those things. So like my grandfather, I only know this because my parents have told me, my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, one of them was a, uh, a cooper. They made they made barrels, like wine barrels. Oh. I think it's called a cooper. Okay. And, you know, like nobody does that anymore, right? But like if you happen to do it, you're one of very few. So if someone needs it, you're kind of you're corner of the market, right? I kind of find gunsmithing in a way to be that. It's a very old world sort of a thing and you don't see them on every corner. So when someone needs those services, you must be invaluable to them. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, gunsmithing in general, there's a broad source of it, but once you like specialize and find your niche, it's that applies 10 times over, whether it's specializing in double shotguns, stock making like I do, metal smithing, that kind of thing. I mean, if you get your name out there and you can do the quality work that um, can drive that cost, you know, I mean, yeah, it's most guys that are really good at what they do in this field are backed up for years. Wow. Yeah. Like the, I always think a Turnbull up uh, with the blue smith, with the bluing and stuff like that, like they're, they're backed up forever. Right. Yeah. But uh, so Kurt, you, you've said before that you uh you've been shooting since you were about six years old and you mentioned your grandfather specifically uh kind of hit home for me my my grandfather also introduced me to firearms and uh what are some of the things that you did together uh with your grandfather with firearms that helped you respect them and eventually lead you to a career with them um my whole for as long as i can possibly remember guns were kind of the only thing i thought of um it was And I think it was definitely because of him. He lived right down the road, um, still lives there. But I used to drive my bike. It was kind of an evolution of riding my bike to his house. That's how I get to Mike's house, too. I ride my bike, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it was kind of like I went to his house every day after school, every day during the summer. And it was we our our family camp wasn't too far from there. So we were always there, always shooting guns, um, always using them like he always made it really fun to shoot, too. There was never like just, there's nothing wrong with just shooting a target, but there was never just that. Like 
he had those little black powder exploding targets. <laughs> it was like hanging cans from trees. So you yeah. get that reaction. It was just a, one. yeah, the fun thing. And he always was like, every time you hit it, it was just excited as the last time you it, hit it. It's you know? funny you say that because years ago I went to um, my, my father's hunting camp and there were some of my younger cousins there. They were quite a bit younger at the time, like BB gun aged, right? And I remember like going out and like hanging like cans all over, kind of make like a shooting gallery. And it's so funny because now like, you know, steel, shooting steel is all the rage. But back, I don't know if it, I don't think it was a thing back then. And it's funny how like tin cans were the original steel shooting. Yeah, I, I'm getting this memory listening to you, Kurt. Of, you know, I I, I never really realized why I like shooting shotgun so much. So much, and and I I'm not saying I I'm just thinking of this now, but it's kind of all coming back to me. My grandfather would throw coffee cans up in the ground, up in the air, and I'd hit him with a shotgun. Oh, and that was yep. like that was like my favorite thing in the world to do was to hit a, a hit a coffee. So can. trap kind of remind almost it, it almost is yeah, like inherent in yeah, your shooting. It, it kind of it all started from back then. So that was that was really cool that uh, you kind of brought that memory back for me. Hmm. Oh yeah, and I, I mean I've put countless holes into old Milwaukee cans. I know that. Yeah. Do you do you have you done any of those like with other new shooters or any of your own family? Um, not honestly. Well, I got my wife into shooting, and she's a- excellent at it. And it's almost embarrassing because she outshoots me with a handgun <laughs> any day of the week. You know, it just has that concentration, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I've been I've been away from home for o- over ten years now and moving around a lot. So I haven't really been able to get established in a community where I get that kind of younger crowd to take out, you know. Was there anything uh, that you can point to back then that kind of was a revelation that pointed you to this career? Uh, I have a very specific point in my life, and it wasn't until I was in the Air Force, because like my whole life growing up, I, was, I wanted to go into the military, wanted to do this, wanted to do that. I ended up going to the Air Force. I flew for seven years as a boom operator, so in-flight refueling. Um, And I think it was about a year and a half into it, I had this kind of sit down with myself, and I was like, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Hmm. This is a lot of fun, but I want to find something else to do. So I did the typical, what should I do as a career, Google search, you know. And I came across and found gunsmithing. As a thing, and I was like, I I didn't realize that was a career. So I looked it up more, and I'm like, I think I can make this work. And I didn't want to do an online school. I wanted to do an in brick and mortar school, but I was like, okay, I'm still this many years away from that. How can I help myself right now? So I went to Penn State uh, World Campus, so their online campus. Got a business degree while I was in, because in every single class, I approached it as having my own gunsmithing shop, and that was just a that's kind of that moment, I guess, for me. And I haven't looked back since. It's just kind of been, uh, I don't know. Once I made that decision, I kind of went full force towards it. Did Did you pick to be a boom operator? Like, I feel like messing with jet fuel at a couple hundred miles an hour with like a long hose hanging at the back of a plane is like something that somebody would, who's crazy would want to do. Yeah. I, I didn't pick it specifically. I just wanted to be in a flying career field. Yep. And I, so I did this, entry program that basically I was guaranteed one of four jobs. I put all flying jobs down, ended up getting that one. Um, and it was a fantastic job. I mean, I was in a different part of the world every once a week, you know, I, I got the travel. A ton. Yeah. And, and you got, you get to see like the coolest jets ever from very close. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. F-35s, F-22s, 15, wow. 16s, Singaporean 
Saudi, every kind of jet you can imagine, every country. It was a blast. That is so cool. So you made that you make this jump to to gunsmith. Um, how does granddad feel about it? Is it is there this does that connection carry over? Is he like really proud of you? And like, is, does he does he realize what an impact he had on you? Oh, I I think so. Absolutely. I mean, that was he was in the army, um, and so like obviously it was me going to the military was very. Uh, I don't know. It was a big moment for me. Uh, I think he was very proud as well. And then I think he's happy to know that, or he was happy to see me go into gunsmithing as well, because growing up, I've tore apart every, every gun that he had to save. And, and it was always that kind of moment after they got put back together of, I hope this goes off. <laughs> so There's nothing left on the bench that I forgot. You know? <laughs> so I want to get back to your um, stock making for a minute. So, uh, you work as a professional stock maker, which I think is incredible, right? Because on top of just the fact that gunsmithing is old world, like you really are taking, I mean, this is craftsmanship we're talking about. And, you know, Keith mentioned a custom Nighthawk, uh, Nighthawk Customs, uh, 1911s getting. So we we have a lot of respect for that that stuff. So how long did it take you to feel totally confident creating a stock from a slab of wood? Because I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of, you got to take your lumps a little bit in that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I feel comfortable now. I mean, I'm doing one right now, a little sharp for my wife and 3220, um, from a blank. It's, it's very challenging, but every single time you're going to have hesitations, you're going to have like, you're unsure, but you're kind of building and making those cuts and making pounding with that chisel, uh, based on your experience and your knowledge from previous guns so you kind of know you got to kind of trust yourself a little bit as much as it i don't know it's uh yeah it's definitely you said it right like craftsmanship it's kind of a the way i like to explain it it's kind of functional art you look at a gun you you look at a gun you like it but you don't know why it's my job to make it balanced to where it's appealing to your eyes and feels right to you How, how much farther can you go with that balance and that comfort with like it being you're saying you're making one for your wife with her being there and every step of the way you being able to like kind of give her the the stock and saying okay hold this where where do you feel needs to be taken in or something like are you almost like custom fitting it for her if 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 you're if she's there able to do that um yeah to a point absolutely and i'm not like i'm not making it so that there's finger grooves in the grip or anything like that but i mean i'm she's absolutely i'm pulling her off the couch or wherever she's at constantly and saying hey pick this up yeah well and yeah my father-in-law does some woodworking and like the one thing i know he's always said is that you know wood is very forgiving right like you you can you can sort of make some errors and 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 correct course with wood um what i found is you know i don't do a lot of it but anytime i have it's very hard like like if you were doing scales for let's say uh a 1911 this getting the symmetry right like getting two pieces of wood that are on opposite sides of a gun to look exactly the same that seems like it would be very challenging you know oh absolutely especially when you throw in the like having a cheek piece on one side yeah, and not the yeah. other but kind of having every other part other than that cheek piece has to balance but it's yeah it's very hard to line up and uh you just kind of got to go by feel i'm sure they're not perfect on each side but you got to make it appear that way you know right 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 you know i i wanted to just i know keith has a question but i, I wanted to um mention one thing i saw a post you made 
on Instagram where you purchased, I guess, a used rifle or you've purchased a couple of used rifles and you took off uh, the butt plate and you found notes hidden inside of the stocks from the previous owner. So first off, I think that's so cool. And I'm like, I think I might need to start doing that. Right. And then the other part is, could you tell us uh, what some of those notes said or was there anything that one of them that was particularly interesting? Oh yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things about buying, especially an old historic gun. And the guns you're speaking of, one was a Winchester Model 92, and one was a 3040 Craig uh, Model 1898. And I pulled those butt socks or the butt plates off, and yeah, there was rolled up, dried up notes in there. And both of them came from the same guy, but he wrote what he paid for them, where he bought them, all of that. And what that was able to tell me is like where I bought that rifle in Pennsylvania, it had never left. In the last, he bought it in like 1932 for $7 or something like that. Oh, jeez. And that gun has never left that county in the last 100 years. You know, that is, cool. that is a really cool story. And not to change topics, but I, I that happens a lot with cars. Like really cool, oh, really? collectible cars. Really? They don't end up usually leaving too far away from where they were originally purchased. So it's interesting that both of those things kind of co- co- coexist with each other and coincide with the way that do you, you find think, things. Do you think, so I'll talk about the cars for a minute, but you know, it relates to both. Do you think that's because, cars are weird because you think because they're mobile, right? They're meant to be driven. But do you think that typically people, like if I, bu- I buy a Jeep, which I did, and then I go to sell it. I sell it to a local guy and they put it yes. in a local auction and it just yes. stays local for that reason. Yeah. And I don't, it's not as pronounced uh, with regular cars like a Jeep Wrangler, but yeah. uh, certain, certain Jeeps are, are certainly that way, but, but more collectible cars that tend to be that way. Cause guns, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, like, especially like a hunting rifle. Yeah. Someone had it. It was their hunting rifle they used for a long time. When they finally get rid of it, like where are they going to go? Their local gun shop. It's probably going to stay local. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I've ended up being pretty local my whole life and you know all of my grandfather's guns that I own are still are still right. local and still around here so it it's it's a cool trade it's a cool thing I I mean making making my my own stock is super appealing to me Kurt. I I don't really have a lot of woodworking skills but I I've dabbled in uh, taking a wood stock, like an, a used Remington 700 stock, and, and massaging it a little bit to fit a performance barrel and and a trigger, and um, it's it was successful. And I was like, I was a little nervous, but I, I made it happen. And uh, what can what is the best way to start doing things like that? Is that is that really like your best advice? Is to maybe you know, start with a used rifle like that or used stock like that and kind of massage it and make it your own? Or should you just jump in and grab a piece of wood? And I mean, obviously tools not being a hurdle. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I, I how I started was with my grandpa up and he, he had a big wood shop and we would take, he would buy all these old 22s, you know, like soup stuff that was super cheap, didn't look that appealing to anybody else. And we would just strip the finish, refinish, maybe reshape something here and there. And that, I mean, that's how it got all started. And doing it that way, you kind of get a good, uh, a good feel for what it should look like, yep. you know. And because you can screw something up right on your first cut on a piece of wood sure. and make that drop way too far or whatever. Um, but if you're looking to get into it, or if you're looking to start, I wouldn't start from a blank. I would look for a semi inlet, which those are your kind of rough yep. shaped stocks and that way there's a lot of work involved in those i mean you're still going to have probably in your first one 100 150 hours into it if you're taking your time wow Wow, but you're 
you have a, a good guideline. You know, it's never not going to look like a gun at the end. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if you start with you could definitely have that happen with starting from a blank. Well, you're sort of inspiring me a little bit. Like my, I have uh, an over-under, a browning, that I shoot a lot uh, for sporting clays and, and trap. And uh, it's got a few... I bought it used and it's got some chips like towards the end of the stock, like the grip and um, just just some wear and tear. And I've been really wanting to tear it apart, but you're kind of inspiring me. Maybe I just need to do it. And just yeah, that's a tough. I will. Yeah, I was going to say I wouldn't start there. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say that's like a high end gun, like whatever's on oh, there now. And, and over unders are probably the most difficult. Oh, really? Like, yeah, over-unders and side-by-sides, there's just a lot of moving parts, so you got to make sure have the right clearances. The wood gets uh, really thin in places. Uh, I definitely wouldn't start I, there. Okay, that's good. I, I that's was going to say, like, that's like a real high-end, you know, pretty high-end shotgun. Like, whatever you do, is probably even if you have chips in it, it's probably going to be a little rougher than what you have. Yeah. But what I was going to say is I have a, it's like a Marlin 22 that I bought for my daughter, and, you know, she's not, she kind of fell out of, out of love with guns and shooting. So it just sits in my, in my gun safe and eventually you know my, my son and my daughter my younger daughter will use it but that's a perfect one right because it's a small 22 yeah. and yeah. if you screw it up you have the synthetic stock you can just throw back on, on you know so it's like you don't have to like love it love it you just have to it's it'd be a good project well, yeah maybe i'll buy a maybe i'll buy a used browning stock <laughs> <laughs> Start <Yeah>. with that. <laughs> yeah, and cover all cover all the metal and masking tape so you don't ding it up with the files and stuff like that. But yeah, it's they're uh, they're very challenging. I mean, it's it can be done. It's just that 100, 150 hours might turn into 200, 250 oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> real quick. Definitely have to pay. That's my thing. I would lose patience. I would start rushing it. I, I would I would have trouble just going down and working on it for an I, hour here and an hour i would i would lose patience yeah I, I like the idea of starting with like a blank like you're talking about though like something that's already sort of you know at formed. least the shape the f- shape is formed that's that's and i've seen those websites out there before are there any that you recommend starting to look at uh you said like websites for for like buying those form stocks to start with oh uh that's it all depends on what you're looking for so the guys that are doing those duplications they don't have everything so okay depending on what stock or what model rifle or shotgun you're looking for. I feel like Remington 700s are all over the place. Like only cause I was recently looking for that. Like I said, when I was putting mine together, I felt like they were everywhere. Yeah. Remington 700s are, and I, I don't have a place to really point you in the direction okay. of just because we do all of our own in the shop. Yeah. And like, it's kind of a one-off. So go, so go you to know? you. I I don't have any 700 patterns, but I I might be able to help you out. Kurt, Kurt, let me let, let me help you out here. Um, Keith, there's this thing that was invented a little while ago. It's called Google. Google. Yeah, I, I'm sure you'll find. <laughs> that's find where something. I found mine. So listen, I uh, I want to highlight something that's really cool about your career. Uh, you had the honor of gracing the cover of the 2022 Brownells catalog, and. I just want to kind of give you an opportunity. How did that opportunity come about? And, and just sort of tell us about that experience. Oh, man. Uh, first off, thank you to Brownells. They're, they have treated me really well. And they're just such a great group of guys, like genuinely nice, great group of guys. Um, I had got a random call at work one day and I ignored it because I didn't know the number. <laughs> and I got a text immediately after that said, hey, this is Josh Brownells. Uh, give me a call when you get a chance or whatever. So I called him and he asked me to be on the cover kind of out of the blue. And it, I was just kind of like, 
in my head immediately I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to do it just because I don't like if you look at my page, I like to show my work. I don't like to show my face, you know. We know. <laughs> I like to yeah. We're, <laughs> so, we're we're the same way. Yeah, so it's you understand that. And uh and then I thought about it some more and I'm like, you know what? I, I thought back to my grandpa immediately because he used to have a gun shop back in the early nineties. And I know he used to get that catalog and I'm like, well, it'd be pretty cool if he got That's to, cool. That would be cool. Got to see that. So I and I kept it a secret the whole time and never told anybody. Uh, so it, he didn't get it till a little bit after some of the other like FFLs and stuff got it. And unfortunately, <laughs> word got around. He did. I think he did get it before or did hear about it. He didn't tell me, but I'm pretty sure he heard about it. Um, but yeah, it was. So that was kind of how that worked out. But they came out here to Montana for a whole weekend and uh, did some pictures inside my shop. So that cover is actually done inside my shop on one of the personal Wow. things i was stalking great photography uh, great, great uh photography work on it yeah that was brian grossenbacher he's a great photographer he does a lot of the orvis like fly fishing okay and upland photos cool T- tell me if i have this wrong i think i have a, a good handle on this story so when they came out to your to your place did you guys hunt together is that true Yes. And, and, uh, and uh, is, is this true that they got a, you went to their spot and there was a giant blow up of your wife out in the field hunting. Is that true? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was at the Brownells, uh, retail store and headquarters there a couple months ago and I'm walking through there. I spent two hours in the storeroom and I was there for an event that they were putting on and they're giving the tour there a couple hours later and we're, they're walking through everything. And I'm like, I look up and I'm like, Holy shit, that's my wife. I looked at the it was uh Logan um Logan from High Caliber History. Um and he he's like, Really? And I'm like, Yeah, that's my wife. And it's like thirty five feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, How did I see this first off for the last couple hours? And then uh and then I talked to the guy that came out and flew out and did the shoot with me and everything. He's like, Yeah, I wasn't gonna tell you, I wanted to see if you'd notice. <laughs> Not only does but, your wife shoot handguns better than you, she has a larger picture than you at Brown Air. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he, he even said that to me. He's like, I just wanted to make sure your head didn't get too big being on the cover. <laughs> and That's I was like, great. Thank you. That's hilarious. Yeah, I told I, I told my wife that story when we were when I was prepping for the show and she was like, That's really cool. Like for, for him, meaning for you, it must have been really cool to have that that little experience. So Oh, I'm I'm more excited about her being up there than I am about me being on the cover, to be I, honest. Like, I can understand. Yeah, awesome. I came across a, a blog that you wrote on properly lubricating your gun, and this is something that I certainly found a lot of value in, especially after I read it. I laughed at a couple a couple things that you had put in there. And, um, you know, I think there's, there is hesitation to deviate from what is easy, like, you know, using a boar snake or wiping down your gun with a, with a cleaning solvent and a cloth and, and maybe a couple drops of oil or the WD 40 had me laughing. Um, what advice can you give our listeners to help overcome that fear of really going deep into your firearm and, and properly cleaning it and the importance of lubrication? You know, it, there are a lot of parts in those guns sometimes. And when you take them apart, you know, it can get a little intimidating. Um, but I think everybody needs to kind of get a little advice on, on how to get past that. Yeah, absolutely. So we live in a great age where there's a plethora of information out there on individual firearms and disassembling them for general maintenance. I, I would leave the detailed cleanings to gunsmiths and professionals simply because they know what parts to check for, for where they know where to look for, like breakages, cracks, stuff like that. But um, and where that comes into, and I might even have it in this article, I can't remember if it's this one or another one, but 
when you're searching that type in the model of your firearm and say field stripping instead yep. of clean instead of disassembly <laughs> and that will give you a much more basic disassembly um and what i what i consider a basic disassembly is pulling it out of the stock yep and basically cleaning there because some water can get trapped under the stock stuff like that but you're not going to be launching springs across the room most of the time at that <laughs> level and if you do want to go more detailed into it then type in disassembly or even better pick up a book on it because who knows how much longer this stuff will be available online true yeah i know you can relate to this i saw again a post on instagram and you were talking about how much fun it is to shoot the ruger mark series uh pistols and my my father has uh i believe it's a mark ii and a while back he was like i can't figure out how to disassemble this thing and clean it he's like maybe you could and i did it and i i you know went online and looked that is a very difficult gun to get apart and put back together they are notorious for being very difficult yeah. to put back together and it's once you figure it out and you do it a bunch of times it's it becomes easy but you gotta like i mean you gotta hold your mouth right while you're doing it it's <laughs> yeah <got>, there's <laughs> A lot of things that got to align, line up to make it work properly. Yeah, I, I mean, I did get it apart and I did get it back together, but it was not fun. I can tell you that much for sure. Um, I, you know, you mentioned something about like, you know, um, looking for wear and tear and like leaving that to a professional. So I was reading something the other day. Um, it was about like, it was something about like Glocks and SIGs and like, you know, uh, an accidental discharge, blah, blah, blah. And basically where it was going was, you know, parts were worn and it caused an accidental discharge this is the gist of it. And that got me thinking, I'm like, I mean, you know, I've never, never thought about that. You know, like parts wear, metal wears. How often should someone send that gun to a professional and say, look, I just want to make sure this thing is still in safe working order. How often should, obviously it depends on how much they shoot, right? But in general, would you say? Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that is a very difficult question to ask is it an old gun is it a new gun if it's a new carry gun to be honest with you like that happens so 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 infrequently that there's almost like if there's they have metallurgy figured out so well right now that if, if something wears to the point where it's unsafe there probably was a issue with their heat treatment process or something like that so that is very uncommon mm. however like if you wanted to put it on a year scale every i don't know every five years or so take it oh. in have it looked over but i'm or maybe every five ten thousand rounds but at that point you're probably going to be needing to replace like recoil springs and stuff like that so kind of any of your general wear parts that have a different lifespan like throw that in there with that and have that checked that's great uh, advice like yeah bretta bretta 92s are notorious for it um i remember when i was going through qualifications with it with my m9 and the air force you have to inspect the gun prior to shooting it. And I swear every time I went there, there was a crack locking block that who knows how many people shot up before me right. with that crack locking block. So it's just having, finding somebody that knows what they're looking for, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good advice though, to put it on a, on a schedule either every five years or when there's major wear parts, you know, have the whole thing checked. It's really good advice. Yeah. I, I think you, I think Mike, you hit that right in the head. I don't, I don't think that's something that normal gun owners really think about. You Most know? people don't shoot. Like he's talking about military guns, right? Where yeah. they've been shot, you know, thousands of times by hundreds of people. Right. Most people, they really don't shoot their guns that much. You know, most people, I mean, there's exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. Us. But, <laughs> so, um, as a professional gunsmith, what are some things you would recommend that like hobbyist gunsmiths try and what are some 
some things you would recommend that they completely leave to the oh professionals? I, I, I can't wait until Kurt says some of these things and I've tried some of them already. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of how you get to that point is I know I've done some of those prior to doing this professionally and I'm like having like little minor recalls with inside my family. <laughs> like, let me double check, make sure this is done right. But no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, there's one thing that is like the most basic thing if you're into wooden old type guns is stock refinishes uh i will put the caveat in there that make sure it's not some rare valuable gun that you're doing it to that's why i like those old 22s that you can pick up for cheap they typically don't have a ton of value but you can have fun with it and you can make it look like it came out of the factory uh stuff you should leave to the professional um trigger jobs and that's probably where you guys (laughs) might laugh a little bit yeah i I mean that was Uh, my first that was my first ever experience (laughs) Yeah, and and that's most people's, you know. It's and I guarantee you can make it lighter, but do you know how to check it to make sure it's still safe after you've made it lighter? And that's <laughs> uh, kind of the I big. Just, I just shot it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <And> that's, <laughs> but if you drop it, what's going to happen? Who knows? So, but I don't know. It's so I'd leave trigger jobs with a professional. Um, detailed cleanings again, just because gunsmiths have they most gunsmiths can look at that kind of thing and know where that wear is. And with that, I'll say. Not every gunsmith is equal, and it's just like any other career field. Um, you're not going to take your Mercedes to a Ford dealership to get it worked on or something like that. You got to find people that are into that. You know, um, if you you guys, I know you guys like SIGs. Um, if you're getting your SIG worked on, find somebody that's SIG Armor qualified. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of those guys out there, and they'll be able to tell you probably more than I will about it because I'm not, and I haven't went through that course. Are you familiar with? Uh, he's recently passed, um, and I'll tell you a quick story. But do you know who Mel Doyle is? I don't know. So Mel Doyle was, I believe, he was out of um, Washington State, but he was very known for his bluing work. And uh, I have a a Colt Python that was given to me, but it was given to me in very bad shape, pitted, you know, rusted. And it, it was, it's always been on my list of like, I need to get this refinished. Um, it's really bad. So it needs to be refinished. It's not like, like on a, like, you know, on a scale of like, eh, maybe it has to be. And I had heard really good things about him and I was ready to send it to him. And then COVID hit and he, he passed from COVID. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because, you know, his reputation was very good in terms of doing bluing work. Um, so to your point, not, not everyone blew, you know, not everyone's going to blue things the same, right? Yep. And that's, yeah. And you got to find those guys. Like uh, you mentioned Doug Turnbull earlier, he had a very good reputation in the Winchester world and it gets, it's beyond the, just the bluing part of it too. Like, the guys that are known for, say, bluing a Winchester or refinishing a Winchester correct, they know which direction those polishing marks should go to make it look re- realistic or to make it look original. They know all of that stuff. They know what type of metal that's made of, how long to keep it in the tanks to match that blue, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot more than just like dipping in the tanks. And that's where, like, I guarantee if you look it up, you might be able to find a guy that is specializes in Colt, that era Colt revolvers. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And he's, he's going to put that proper blue on there. He's going to be able to check for those wear part, that different wear parts while he's doing that. Cause he's going to have it all apart anyways. Um, yeah, I, that's, and that's another great example of knowing the value of your gun. Obviously pythons are very valuable guns. So that's not something that you want to just send to some guy that you don't know his reputation, Exactly. you know? Yeah. 
get a good and i always tell people like first talk to somebody in your local area like a gun shop and ask if they have any gunsmiths they recommend um i actually did an, an article on my website about how to find a gunsmith because it was something that i got questions of a lot and uh yeah, not everybody does everything. Yeah, that um, python was known for it was called python blue. Like there was it, it had its own like kind of shade or color. Like there's a name for it. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yep. they were known for having that sort of distinct look to them. So you do want to get someone who knows how to do that properly. Definitely. Absolutely. So I, I want to switch topics a little bit from gunsmithing and and move into reloading. Um <clears throat> I've been reloading shotgun shells now for a couple years. I always was under the impression from people that I've talked to that that's like a safe reloading thing to start with. It's kind of hard to screw up. And if you do do a double charge, you'll, you won't, you know, hurt yourself. <laughs> um, and I've been doing it for a couple of years and I've, I've not had any problems and I've been using a progressive press and I'm really feeling ready that it's time to move to pistol and rifle reloading. Um, do you think I could go right into a progressive press for pistol? I, I uh, I definitely see the rationale behind maybe going single stage with like a hunting round or something like that, but I I really want to start loading some pistol rounds. I've we Mike and I have been shooting a lot more, and I I know it'll be a lot cheaper to reload than than not. So just wanted to get your advice on that going from shotgun yeah. to to the to the next step. Yeah, I think uh, I think going to progressive with a pistol is I think you could do that and be fine. Um, I honestly think that's probably a safer bet because most of the time when you're doing a single stage with that type of thing, high volume, that's when you have mistakes where progressive yep. makes it kind of hard to screw that up. Yeah. You screw up like on, on shotgun reloading. If I screw up a, a you know, a, a run, I know it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like the, you know, the whole thing, the whole process falls apart, you know, and you got to kind of start from the beginning. Yes. Single stage really works well if you're doing like hunting, like right. hunting or long yeah. range where you want to really dial in like, you know, a few rounds, right? Like yeah. a handful of rounds, not hundreds and hundreds of rounds, correct? No, uh, single stage press, I definitely recommend for more rifle stuff. If you're doing AR stuff like that, a progressive probably would work fine for that high volume. But where you really benefit from the single stage is getting that perfect powder measure, getting, being able to control all that quality stuff. And I right. actually, uh, I had a pretty like a little Instagram reel that went pretty viral through Brownells like two weeks ago. And I thought it was funny. Everybody was attacking me for my old school uh, balance scale as opposed to having a digital scale. <laughs> I, I'm like, it's not, not, not that I don't want one. It's just that this every, works. I just hate, I, yeah. And I hate things with batteries because every time they run out of batteries, it's right in the middle of something and I <laughs> yeah. don't have that battery in hand. I, what do you, are there any, uh, any recommendations for like, do you have some favorite presses that, you know, you like? Are you a Dylan guy strictly or do you like Hornaday stuff? I have a Dylan progressive pistol press. And one thing I'll story back to my grandpa. He, he gave me that Dylan and he bought it in like the nineties and he called in to get a part for him. And they checked the serial number and said, Hey, this is pretty old. Why don't you send it to us? He sent it to him and they rebuilt the whole thing and didn't charge him a dime. Wow. So like, wow. Their customer service is excellent. I can't, I don't know if they'll do that for everybody and I'm not promising that they will, yeah. but they took really good care of him and that made an, impre an impression on my entire family. I've heard always good things. I've heard, always heard good things about Dylan and, and not that I'm going tit for tat here, but I bought a used mech for my progressive shotgun and I called their customer service and they didn't ask anything other than a serial number and they gave me, they helped me out. Yeah. They got, I was having a problem with a crimp. 
and uh, they went through the whole thing, asked me about, you know, the holes that I was using, what primers I was using, and they told the guy on the phone was funny. He was like, "Oh yeah, just put a washer right here, and that'll fix your crimp problem." And yeah. sure as crap, I, it did. I've heard really good things about the Hornaday stuff. I really have. I don't have but, experience, but I've gone on like forums and stuff, and I hear like really good stuff, but. I think Dylan's customer service is like second to none. I, I think they're almost their that's they're known awesome. for. Yeah, so I, I think that's I think you hit the nail on the head, Kurt. I think that they're just, uh, you know, superior in terms of their customer service and whatnot. Yeah. And so. in a whole different direction on that, my all of my like rifle reloading stuff is RCBS, uh-huh. and uh, the press I'm using I bought from an older guy that is a friend of mine, and he's had it since like probably the '60s or '70s. But I don't know what their customer service is like because it doesn't stop working. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there's something to be said about that too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I I think you're pretty much safe with any company on the market right now, just because it's so competitive and people can tear down a company That's so a quickly point. if they do have something wrong. I yeah. think you're kind of safe with everything. Even Lee, like Lee, is the kind of the entry low level cost option. Yeah, entry, entry level. level. And they're, I mean, they're great. Their customer service is great. Their presses, they do what they're advertised to do. Yeah. Like. I don't think that should be a uh, hurdle for anybody to get into it, I guess is what I would say. I'm going to try to find a good used one. That's my style. Tough to find, though. They are hard. They are hard. Especially right now. I got a couple feelers out. Yeah. So, Kurt, before we move on to our next segment, uh, where can people find you? I know you have a website, Instagram, anywhere else? Um, Uh, Montana. Yeah, Montana, usually (laughs) somewhere in the mountains or out in the plains. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But no, Instagram uh, at Kurt underscore the underscore gunsmith. And then I also have a website, KurtTheGunsmith.com. I just kind of, that website's a whole, really a personal thing that I've just messed with SEO stuff on. But it's really only subjects that I'm super interested in. And uh, I I found out that, because I was an instructor when I was in the military. And when you have to teach something, you have to solidify your your techniques and your procedures. And that was kind of what I wanted with what I was doing general gunsmithing wise. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's all in our show notes. And I just want to say that the website has great blogs and articles and some cool little things on like, you know, uh, things you might want to buy for your, your gunsmithing bench at home. And I, I thought it was great. So if you're out there, uh, check it out, go to the show notes, you know, go to where he's sending you and way, it's great m- way more than we were able to talk about tonight. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, well, I appreciate that guys. Thank yeah, you. no, it's as a content creator myself, I thought it was really great content. So definitely go check Kurt stuff. So our next segment is called running gun and, uh, Running Gun is sponsored by Resurgent Arms, a company we've definitely been worth a long time at this point, Keith. And uh, you guys can go check them out, get 12% off with our discount code GUNEXPERIMENT12. Uh, And so if you don't know, Kurt, Running Gun is a little game that we play with uh, every guest we have. And it's 10 questions, rapid fire style. It is timed. It is timed. Um, Do you want to know the, would you like to know what time you need to beat? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Number one. What is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, currently, Manlicker Schoenauer. What gun would you buy if money was no object? M60. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? John Browning. Favorite caliber? 270. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Uh, guitar playing. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Time travel. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. 
Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? My family. Let's mix it up. So before we get to our next segment, Keith has a fa- a look on his face. What is what do we got? Forty six point five. Is that a new record? It. I I have to go back and see how close it is to Tony Simon, but it is damn close. You might be the new record holder, and it's been a record for a long time. I Tony, we've always said is forty six, but I don't know. Like it could be forty six and change. Yeah, I don't remember the point. Wow. That's amazing. Well, so you guys can just forward all the money and stuff like that that's involved. <laughs> well, you'll definitely get the fame. I can I can tell you that because we talk about we, we talk about the leader a lot. So, all right. Well, I, I Kurt, I promise you, I will get back to you and let you know yeah, if I you go officially back. take it. That's the closest anyone's come. Definitely. And you didn't cheat, did you, Kurt? I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, because Tony did. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we're going to discuss how to take your home gunsmithing skills to the next level. And before we do that, Let's Mix It Up, our sponsor for this is Onsite Firearms Training. They have an extensive course offering and teach classes across the country. You're guaranteed to find a course to meet your needs, so check them out and get trained by the same outfit that trains the gun experiment. We just trained with them the other, just a couple days ago, and it was it was awesome. I mean... I'm getting better and better because of these guys. 100%. Uh, and I, you said it best at the end of the class, you know, being able to self-diagnose is starting to come. And uh, and that's really uh, attributed to them and the training yeah. that they've provided to us. And listen, if you're out there and they're not available, go train. I mean, I, mean, I want you to train with them because they're an awesome group, but just go train. Yes. So anyway, uh, so Kurt, we want to talk about, kind of pick your brain a bit and talk about how to make ourselves better gunsmiths so (laughs) without without doing trigger jobs (laughs) yeah 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 so i I have a few different kind of topics and you did one thing on your blog people should go check it out it was like things you should add to your bench that are like under 11 dollars, and it was awesome i'm like oh i'm gonna go buy these things these are great great tools but what are some must-have tools maybe let's give us like the top five must-have tools on your bench let's start with that uh, number one is a good screwdriver set, hollow ground, and I'm just going to automatically go to Brownells. Wheeler makes one that works, but the reason I like Brownell sets, they're a little more expensive than the Wheeler, but uh, those screwdriver bits, like they warranty them. So like if you screw it up or whatever, they will they will help you out there. You have um, to you got to explain the hollow ground thing. I think a lot of listeners don't understand. Don't get it. Don't yeah. understand what that okay. is. Okay. Yeah. So the typical screwdriver is kind of shaped almost like a wedge. And that is to fit a variety of school screws where gun screws are parallel sided for their cuts of the screw slot. So that will go in there and that fits that screw slot as tight as possible. So you avoid slipping out and damaging the screw head or damaging the stock or uh, the finish work on that. Is that a, was that a good enough? Perfect. perfect. Yeah. And I, I recently just bought the Wheeler set. I, I really truthfully wanted the Brownells. It was quite a, I got the Wheeler on a very good price and I don't, I don't really use them very often, so I couldn't justify it, but I agree yeah, with you. you come over to my house and make I, me do it. I, I agree with you that the Brownell set is probably the set. Like if you had to choose, but, it's the yeah, one. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Wheeler set. I do want to emphasize that. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like that ability to, sometimes those screwdrivers do get buggered up and you can get them replaced if you need to. Yep. yep. Yeah, I agree. So what's your number two? 
Number two is a good punch set. Um, yeah. Having a good punch set makes all the difference in the world of whether that pin comes out if you're getting into the more detailed stuff or uh, whether you slip off that pin and it gouges the side of your receiver or what have you. And what about, do you have a preference? Like, do you think you should have a plastic punch set and a metal punch set or brass punch set? Yeah, I was going to say, because I mean, there's 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 brass, there's obviously steel, and then you get into like roll pin punches. And so there's a lot of different kind of punches. What what are the ones you definitely have to have? Um, So I'm, I'm glad you guys brought this up. So this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I tell a lot of people and I actually have some gunsmiths that I know that are like, never thought of it that way. Um, if you're using brass punches. You want to use a brass hammer. If you're using steel punches, you want to use a steel hammer. Um, the advantages of Brass, non-marring, so you're not going to gouge something. Um, the advantage, is, but it also is soft, and because it's non-marring and soft, it'll deform quickly. So you have mm -hmm. to dress them up pretty frequently. And very small, tiny punches don't last very long, typically. Mm -hmm. um, steel punches, I actually use steel punches way more than I use brass, just because of the rigidity. I keep my punches polished and so that they're not going to gouge or uh, dent any pins, especially the exposed ones. Um, polymer ones are great for those big things that uh, you got to whack to, I don't know, you're not going to get as much transfer as energy of energy with a plastic punch, but uh, they, they have their place. Um, I wish I could think of an example at the moment right now of like where that's useful, but yeah, all three of them are really necessary. If you had to get one starting out, I'd say brass, just so you don't ruin your guns with steel. Um, and you'll once they deform, you're pretty much you have to stop, you know, and you'll you'll figure it out. What about but number three? Number three is a bench block. Okay. Uh, I'm very very bench blocks to me are just something not talked about a lot. Uh, I have a good uh, what I consider not a good blog posts on it but i i go through in one of my blog posts about making your own bench block i saw that i don't want to go into too much detail but it involves a hockey puck which i thought was cool yes yeah it's yeah really cool. those are those are super affordable so it's it's a great addition to your bench okay number four. Oh, number four i'm sitting at my bench right now and i'm looking around uh number <laughs> four is probably a decent cleaning rod um okay, okay. one piece one piece not screwed together yeah one piece preferably if you're going to have it as a bench the three-piece ones have their place um four snakes have their place uh just for bench use though and cleaning stuff like heavy cleaning i like to use a solid one-piece cleaner on okay um i have i have a set of montana extreme ones that i really like they the handle is on ball bearing so yes. they rotate with the rifling okay um i like that and then obviously having a jag and brush set that matches calibers that you have in your in your safe right and what's your fifth Oh, my fifth is probably so you have to realize going into this with my so my um the stuff that I deal with a lot is a lot of antique old stuff. So it might be different if you're into ARs. So why don't we specify what would be? Let's go with something that like everybody should have. You know, not spe not specific because I would agree like an armor's wrench for an AR guy would be important, right? But yeah, for for everybody, like what's something that like a tool that like everyone should have? Alignment pins. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there, that's a steel tapered pin that is way longer than you need it to be. But what it does is if you're like, you can use it on ARs, like say you're putting in a new trigger and you got to line that, the hole of the hammer 
with the hole in the receiver. Yep. You put that alignment pin in there and you can be way off and it tightens everything right up so that you can push that pin in without any issues. I it's like a third hand. Yeah. Okay. When you're working on stuff. Yeah. And I just wanted to like highlight this cuz it is that blog post but little things like that I I don't have but I need to get are like those long cotton swabs that you buy. Like those are good and like you mentioned I never seen these but Brownell sells these little uh, like plastic cups for like yep. really cheap and you can pour like different solvents in them. And um, I think you only say- spill the, you only spill the whole bottle of hoppies on your bench once <laughs> that you should, that you should pour into a little cup and just use that. It, yeah. make, it makes a nice stain for the whole bench, you know, yeah. Yes. Rub it out. yeah. But little stuff like that is, I think is, is great, you know? So now, so all right, we got our tools. So now what about like your bench and your workshop? What are some must haves in terms of setting up your bench? So I'll give you an example. I like to have like really good lighting in yeah. my workshop, right? Like good fluorescent lighting, but like, what are some other things that just your shop needs to have? Uh, one touch on the lighting, I completely agree. I'll add to that is get a cheap desk lamp off Amazon. Like one of the, the, uh, like I think they call them architecture lamps mm-hmm. that kind of move around and adjust and they're spring loaded. Those are great. Cause you can see in those little spots that you might catch a shadow with. Yeah. Um, number two is a solid vice. Yeah. You, definitely. That's ind- indispensable. And with a vice that goes all the different types of jaws that protect and don't damage the finish on your gun. What, what about those, uh, th- those gun vices like you and I both have. The- yeah, we have like one of the tipped in like, bench vices you know what i'm talking about like cleaning yeah yep um but i know you did a review i'm i actually want to get my hands on one to review but the the yeah, avid vice so with the tipton style vices those are great especially if you don't have a full-time bench for guns because uh, you can most of those you can store all your cleaning stuff in them they're great for that you can put it on a kitchen table whatever you want um i do have that avid vice and i'm still running it through tests so far i really really like it having it looks that cool. it looks really cool Oh yeah. And having that ball socket to move everything around and get the right angles. Um, I was mounting a scope on my, uh, on an AR upper I just picked up recently and the jaws that come with it attached to the rails and like, and there's that little cant feature so you can level it when you're mounting the scope. It's just a great, uh, they really well thought out. I'm curious to see how it holds up long-term. Um, I don't have any doubts of it right now, but I, I'm also not putting it through like it's kind of my light duty that vice, you know, it's my general cleaning disassembly vice. I'm assuming your answer would be that you wouldn't want that to be your only, but you want to have a regular like solid vice. And then that, is that true? Yes. Yeah. If you're going to go into that level of stuff, absolutely. Cause uh, you're not like, there's a lot of the jaws on here. So there's some parts that are plastic, some different paints on there. I don't know how that would hold up to oxyacetylene, you know, Yeah. I don't want to, and different things like that. There's, one thing it's missing from a standard vice is that little anvil portion to where you can kind of, if bang you need it. to, yeah, you can need to bang on something or punch a pin out. Yeah. Um, but one of the most underrated things about a vice is how it's mounted to your bench. So I like to have it on a corner. If you're right-handed, it should be on a left corner. If you're left-handed, it should be on a right corner, just so you can kind of naturally set your tools down on the bench as you're done using them. Mm-hmm. Um, height's important. That's going to be based on whoever you are, but mounting it over a leg too is super important. Yeah. So that if you are pounding on something, you're transferring all that energy into the 
the solid floor. Something that's anchored. It's funny you mentioned the height. I, I recently, uh, a neighbor of mine helped me build a, a bench in my basement and, uh, <clears throat> it's beautiful. It came out like almost too nice. And I, <laughs> I made it so I kind of made it to my height, which I'm a little bit taller. And when I put that tipping, uh, vice on there, it's almost too tall. And if I had a vice on the corner, like you're talking about, Kurt, it would be a lot more natural to work on. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely, uh, definitely challenging. And yeah, those tips, that's another thing. That's one of the complaints I do have about those is they almost deserve to be mounted to like an Island that you can yep. walk around on. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you can even move around like on wheels or something even wouldn't be yep. so bad. So uh, another thing that I want to ask you about, about the bench portion of it is I almost feel like I made a little bit of a mistake only cause I saw a really cool setup after I did it. I mounted my, uh, Mick, progressive to the workbench like I bolted that sucker right down <clears throat> and I'm like I when I did it I was like yep I built this bench for this reloader so I'm just gonna screw this you know bolt this thing down and in hindsight I feel like I should have made like some sort of plate system or something that they I sell quick they, disconnects yeah. right yeah so what do you what are your feelings on that is that a better option than bolting um, it down I just this is my first bench I've had it for about a year now that I d- did a plate system Yep. And uh, I really like it. Yeah. I, I do. Frank and has I've, that, right? Yeah, I saw that. That's who I saw it with when I was at his house. I yeah. saw it. I was like, man, this is so sweet. If yeah. you have the availability and you have the bench space to just mount everything, then you're lucky and I would do it, you know, because yep. that's a big hesitation to reload is having to unbolt something and put something on there if you're limited on time. Yeah. So I, it's. I mean, I hesitated to put these holes in this brand new beautiful bench, but I was just like, screw it. I built it for reloading, so I'm doing it. Yeah. And then, then I saw the plate system after that, and I was like, oh. Well, if you put a plate system on it, it'll cover those holes up more. That's true. That's true. That's <laughs> so, true. Something to think about. That's true. Yeah, that's good. So one last topic here. Uh, you had mentioned that you took your gunsmithing. You wanted to go to a brick and mortar school and not an online. So I know like Sonoran Desert Institute is a big online school that does uh, online gunsmithing. So my first thing is if someone wanted to take the leap into full on gunsmithing, my first question is, do you think that the online schools are like a no go or do you think that they have their place and they would be okay? They have their place. Um, and I'll say every gunsmithing school has the same problem with people going through it. And that is that they think that when they're done going through it, that they like, that's it. That's honestly the beginning of everything. Like that's, that's just your foundational knowledge. You don't know anything at that point, in my opinion. You, yeah. Obviously, you know, that foundational stuff, but you have to build a lot of experience you have to have a nice, a good library. You need to be constantly growing that knowledge base. Okay. Um, and I'm going to add a sixth thing to that tool list for your bench. And sure. that is getting a good collection of books because mm-hmm. they are invaluable for that. that okay. Especially with reloading too, right? You know, um, yes. reloading charts with your different gunpowders so that if, you know, you end up with a a powder that you're not used to using, you know, you could really make some mistakes. Yeah. So Absolutely. It's funny because that's the one thing, like one topic where books are almost in some way better than the internet. The internet's great, but like you could go hunting forever and you get a million different opinions, but those books are sort of, they've been around forever and those things haven't lost their value. So those books are very valuable, but they're, they're credible too. Which yes. Is yes. So the one thing I did, I, I kind of knew where you were going to go with the online colleges, right? But what I would like to know is this, 
if someone was not looking to make it a profession, but they just want to really hone some crafts, could you maybe give a course or two, an online course or two, obviously if in person might be better, but not everywhere has a, a trade school that offers that maybe a class you might want to take that would be like, that would be a good class for anybody to have. Is there something you might recommend? So the online schools would probably be great for that. And I think where you're going to benefit the most from is the information is organized. And since you are committing financially, you're going to be committing to actually learning that information. But a lot of the stuff that's in a lot of these schools and stuff, it, it can be found in books. It's just organized a little differently. And you have access to those instructors with experience. So that's a huge benefit as well. I don't have any specific courses. I know I was just at a course in Iowa last week for checkering. And uh, those courses were great. And they're taught by like guild members and stuff like that. And anybody can take them. It's they're like 500 bucks for a week. They were this year anyways. Uh, so little things like that are offered around the country that it's not so bad. Yeah. So if you were like, I yeah. want to try my hand at checkering, you could take that class and then kind of try your hand right. at it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So one more question before we go, just cause I, I kind of thought about this as we were discussing it, it was probably more in tune for the interview portion of the show. But so I, I'm going to speak for myself here. I'm going to continue to work on my own stuff. I just, I, I like to tinker. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid to have a spring fly across the room. It's happened. Um, I've gotten so that I've know the importance of safely test firing this gun, but can you give some advice on that? On, on, you know, what is, you know, how, how is the best way to really test fire something after you've been messing with it? Maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Other, I mean, like if you're first off, if you're doing that level of work where you're nervous about it going off, I would probably be not do it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> with you. I, well, I would not touch a trigger job on my carry gun. There's no way. And I, I know that it's, I know that's, and you think about a trigger job and I, I know that's not answering your question. And I have to, I apologize for that. I just don't know how to answer it. But like with a trigger job, if you do your own trigger job, just know that what could happen if it's a bolt action, never have that. It's basic gun safety. Always have it pointed in a safe direction. If it's yeah. a, semi-automatic like could it run away on you Maybe, i'll give you an ex but... i'll give you an example you know like like my first my the first thing i really took apart and and tried to work with was on a smith and wesson model 638 it was a snub nose and i the trigger pull was just too heavy so um i just you know i took everything apart and i just polished some of the uh surfaces that the trigger touched and i put in a lighter uh spring and when I put it all back together, I was just like, man, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. I don't really want to pull the trigger in my hand. So I just kind of rigged it up on a, like a, uh, uh, like, no, no, no. Like at, a, at the range, I just kind of put it in like a, a vice, but for lack of a better term and really literally tied a paracord to the trigger, pulled the hair back and just pulled the, you know, pulled the cord. Cause I was like afraid to hold it in my hand. Is that acceptable or? So uh, there's, there's two things I want to touch on that. That's acceptable for like, if you're doing some very deep work, say you put a different new barrel on or something like that. Yeah. But like something to consider too, is for what you did with a trigger job, nothing that you touch there will make that explode in your hand you didn't touch any of those right. components that, that are going to change better. that lockup yeah so think of it that way and that's where building that base knowledge through books and all that you can 
you you know that like i know what the worst thing that could happen here is got it and like a trigger job on a revolver is it goes off when you're not expecting it or you pull the hammer back and it doesn't stay if you have it pointed in a safe direction you're gonna be okay like, yeah yeah you're in that's yeah, and, basic and I, I, and, I say and, I wouldn't do a trigger job, but like, let me clarify. Well, this. I want to say one of the, I survived and it works great. And I've just shot, I actually just shot it not long ago, many, many times. And I, I put probably a hundred rounds to it. And it's I think the great. bigger thing is, are you making it so light that it's going to go off when you don't want it to? Is I yes. think what Kurt's saying. Yes. And so like, if you're going with like a Smith and Wesson, I was, I was cognizant of that. I, I didn't go too far. A Smith and Wesson M and P you can go to apex and buy one of their kits I personally would feel comfortable installing something like that because you're changing changing a trigger bar, you're you're maybe changing the you know the actual trigger face itself. Right. But it's a kit and it there's very explicit you're direction. You're not taking you're, away material. You're not, you're not taking away material exactly. So there's yeah. a little bit of and a difference. Changing those engagement surfaces can run into that kind of thing. I bolt guns is really where I think about like hunting. That's where you're going to see the most issues pop up with a trigger job okay because like most people do a trigger job and oh it's light but they never check they never put it on safe pull the trigger let go of the trigger and then put push it off safe yeah and there's a good that that can go off sometimes if it's not done right so it's like little checks like that or like dropping it on the butt plate not dropping it completely but from a couple inches up with it unloaded to make sure it's not going to trip itself stuff like that striker fired stuff mainly yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think as long as you're being reasonable, I think it's, you know, it's safe to say you could do something like that as long as you're not going crazy with things. So Couldn't let Kurt yep. go without asking that question. Exactly. Kurt, I want to thank you for coming on the show and hanging out with us. Uh, I'm personally always fascinated by people who display old world craftsmanship in this modern world that we're living in. Uh, in a time where so many things are mass produced and disposable, you're displaying a skill set and, and creating products that can be passed down from one generation generation to the next. And that is something that I find to be very, very special. So thank you for coming on and sharing that with us. It means a lot to us. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and Discord as well so we can keep the conversation going. 